0: nine-year-old Nora Meese from St. Michael's Catholic School in Livonia has the predictably busy schedule of any energetic girl her age.
1: I play basketball and then I'm starting volleyball in January and I do dance.
0: She's an incredible student getting mostly A's with the very rare A minus. This is her dad Patrick.
1: She does well academically, socially, athletically, spiritually. She's uh, just a a great young lady.
0: But while many girls her age may revere JoJo Siwa or Taylor Swift, Nora has a unique hero, Blessed Solanus Casey. I think he
2: is, like,
1: amazing.
0: (laughs) Nora's reasons for this go deeper than reverence for saintly piety. They are intensely personal, because Nora almost never was a healthy nine-year-old girl, and she believes she has Blessed Solanus to thank for that.
1: She very much believes that she's a miracle girl.
0: Welcome to Detroit Stories, a podcast on a mission to boldly share the stories of the people and the communities in Southeast Michigan. These are the stories that fascinate and inspire us. This episode is sponsored by Michigan Catholic Conference. Visit micatholic.org forward slash sign up to join the Catholic Advocacy Network. You'll receive email updates and action steps to have your Catholic voice heard on bills in the Michigan House and Senate that impact human dignity and the common good. Nine years ago, St. Michael's of Livonia parishioners Patrick and Shelby Meese waited in a delivery room after a very healthy pregnancy, eagerly anticipating the delivery of their firstborn. Like any new parents, They didn't know exactly what to expect in childbirth, but they knew enough to know when things were going wrong, and things seemed to be going very wrong.
1: It was a very difficult delivery.
0: As doctors and nurses frantically rushed around them, monitoring Nora's levels and speaking in panicked medical lingo, Patrick and Shelby tried to make sense of how serious things were. But as a special education teacher, there was one issue Patrick had grown accustomed to seeing.
1: I had worked with a lot of students who've had seizures, so I identified it right away as what I thought was a seizure and then they whisked her down to the NICU and that seizure lasted uh, more than five minutes.
0: The attending nurses and doctors were able to control the seizure through a risky emergency medication through her navel. Patrick knew that seizures are never good, but neonatal seizures are extremely serious. About half of all babies who have neonatal seizures develop epilepsy later in life. Those with seizures related to the brain often have further complications if they survive, such as cerebral palsy, developmental disabilities, or other neurological disorders.
1: So they were able to control the seizure, and um, they did a bunch of testing to determine why she had a seizure. So during the testing, they discovered that she had a very large brain bleed, which they call the intraparenchymal hemorrhage, otherwise known as a stroke, covering a large part of her brain. Uh, we were devastated. This was uh, our first child. We didn't know what to expect going through the process, but we certainly didn't expect uh, trauma to occur on our, uh, on the day of our daughter's birth.
0: Nora spent the following days in the NICU, where she was put on regular seizure medication. Patrick and Shelby were told that Nora had a type of brain bleed that disrupts normal blood flow and subsequently deprives the brain of oxygen, resulting in brain cells dying. It is associated with a high mortality rate and neurological deficits, speech, vision, and hearing problems. Patrick and Shelby were told that the extent of her brain bleed made it likely that she would never walk or talk.
1: Uh, she had a a significant brain bleed. I'll never forget the doctor who told us this. Um, She didn't have a very good bedside manner. She pulled us into her office and she pulled up Nora's image and she looked at this large area of her brain, circled it on the computer and said, you don't have to be a radiologist to see that this is a significant brain bleed. And then throughout the course of her care, while in the NICU, They were um, consistently trying to prepare us for, uh, again, the the significance of what could happen in terms of uh, her impact of of what would be a disability.
0: This is Shelby.
2: You know, I remember one of her doctors coming into our room after she had been there for a few days, because obviously she had spent some time in the NICU. But I remember him coming to us and telling us that our baby was the sickest baby in the NICU. And as first time parents, I mean, that is just absolutely gut wrenching when. We are inexperienced. We don't understand this language that they're speaking to us. Um, You know, they're trying to tell us that Nora has this massive brain bleed and that they truly don't know what they can do for her. You know, they were just waiting and observing and we were just waiting. And that was agonizing to have to just sit there and wait and watch her and wait to see if she had had another seizure and then to have to take your baby home on seizure medication and just all of the unknowns, not knowing if she will ever be okay. That's something that you certainly never wish for your child. You don't ever want them to be suffering. You don't ever want them to be in pain. You don't want them to have a difficult road ahead of them.
0: There wasn't much realistic comfort the medical staff could offer the niece. A comment about the possibility of her brain compensating and medicine improving fell flat for two parents who had learned the grim statistical truths. They left the hospital with seizure medication and low odds for a healthy baby. And a sliver of hope.
2: You know, just hoping, honestly, for anything good to happen. We weren't necessarily hoping for a miracle, but just hoping that Nora would be okay.
3: But also, why not hope for a miracle? Welcome to the Solana's Casey Center. This is Brother Thomas. Nora's hero was a simple, unpretentious priest known as the doorkeeper who humbled himself so he could serve people on the margins. Blessed Sons Casey, born Bernard Francis Casey, was one of 16 siblings born in 1870 in rural Wisconsin to Irish Catholic immigrants. When he was eight like Nora, he was also battling for his health as he contracted diphtheria which killed two of his siblings and permanently altered his voice. As a Capuchin friar, first in New York and later in Detroit, taking the religious name Solanus, he ministered to those experiencing poverty, illness, as well as those in need of prayer. While his primary job was that of doorkeeper, He became known for his listening ear and blessings to the thousands who came to him for counsel, wisdom, and aid. During his time as Porter, his superiors asked Solanus to begin recording the unusual number of favors, many involving unexplained healings, reported after his praying for them and often enrolling them in the Seraphic Mass Association. By the time of his death in 1957, Devotion to Father Solanus had grown to the point that more than 20,000 paid their respects when he died. Thousands of favors attributed to him continued pouring in from around the world to the Capuchins and to the newly formed Father Solanus Guild, which started collecting, reporting, and promoting material related to Father Solanus' life, ministry, and spirituality for his sainthood cause. An official archdiocesan investigation was opened into his life and presented to the Vatican. In 1995, Father Solanus was named venerable by Pope John Paul II. Since then, a panel of medical experts confirmed and Pope Francis confirmed a miraculous healing attributed to Father Solanus. That paved the way for his beatification in 2017. Until the Congregation for the Causes of Saints determines another miracle needed for Father
0: Solanus to be named a saint, the devoted masses continue to pour into the Solanus Casey Center in Detroit, stop by the tomb of Father Solanus and pray for intercession and blessing. These little favors may never reach the congregation or face the scrutiny of a medical board, but to the people who receive them, they are nothing short of miraculous. One of the thousands who had a devotion to Father Solanus during his lifetime was the grandfather of Patrick Meese.
1: So our family had a devotion to Blessed Solanus before this. Um, My maternal grandfather uh, took, at the time, his brother-in-law to see Father Solanus in Indiana. I believe it was in the 1950s. Um, and as the, the story goes, he took him there to, for uh, polio and he was not cured of polio, but this uh, family member was uh, a serious alcoholic who, after receiving a blessing from father Solanus never touched alcohol again. My, my dad also has a strong devotion. He's taken friends, um, who also, uh, now go regularly and pray at the tomb. So that, that's been a part of our family, um, that story, and living in Livonia and having the the Father Solanus Center uh, essentially in our backyard about 15 minutes away, uh, that's something that, that uh, we, we've we had a, a long-standing devotion in our family to Blessed Solanus.
0: Leaving the NICU, Patrick and Shelby were hungry for spiritual guidance and solace, painfully aware of the parenting demands they were expected to face. Reflexively, they went to St. Bonaventure's to the same tomb that thousands, including Patrick's family, had gone before in moments of need and deep questioning.
1: Upon her being released from the NICU, we took her to uh, the tomb of Father Solanus, and we requested a blessing for her. And uh, the priest uh, asked us to put her car seat right on the tomb of Father Solanus, this was before he was uh, determined to be blessed, and uh, it was just the wooden top to the tomb. Um, so we were able to put her car seat on there, and the priest prayed for her. He used the relic that Father Solanus used to use when he blessed the sick. And then the priest also blessed myself and my wife. Uh, but when he was done blessing Nora, he I recall him using the words that Father Solanus used, I remember him saying that she will be well, and at the time, I don't think, I wasn't upset, but I was a little bit, it caught me off guard because we had just heard, you know, for several days how sick she was and what the future might look like for her, Um, but we wanted to uh, align ourselves with the teaching of Father Solanus and thank God ahead of time, and we we truly uh, tried to keep that in mind.
0: Patrick and Shelby left St. Bonaventures with the assumption that nothing changed, but a sense of gratitude for a newfound disposition of peace and a feeling of empowerment.
1: So when she was just uh, a few weeks old, she was receiving special education services, and uh, she, we also had somebody coming to the house once a week to work with her.
0: The Mies and special education staff had prepared themselves for just about any result, except one.
1: She. Uh, subsequently hit her milestones. She was doing really well. Several months into the programming, she was in a class with, um, I believe it was birth to two-year-olds, and some of the two-year-old parent, the parents of two-year-olds, were um, kind of looking at their children and looking at Nora and saying, oh, wow, she's already doing this and she's already doing that. Our son or our daughter is not even close to that, and it made us feel bad, um, and I knew that we could always... Uh, re-enroll her in services. But I, I think we were just so encouraged by her hitting her milestones that we did discontinue the services.
0: The Mees weren't the only ones whose expectations were overturned.
1: There was a team of doctors that followed her developmentally. And each of those appointments, uh, we were told that she's doing extremely well, uh, that she is a miracle child, and uh, that they just, they thought that at some point sooner than what they originally thought that they could discontinue her from this uh, ongoing care from the team.
0: The developmental setbacks, the potential for physical and mental defects, each and every possible outcome of her stroke was silenced by the resounding evidence of a miraculously untouched, healthy little girl growing in front of them.
1: So, uh, fast forward to now, she is a very bright, nine-year-old girl. Uh, she goes to St. Michael's Catholic School in Livonia and just does extremely well. There, there's no repercussions from, uh, from what happened to her at birth.
0: The family that anticipated pain and suffering for their daughter now have a renewed devotion to the blessed
2: they attribute her healing to. Miracles really are real because, you know, we were told by science um, that, you know, Nora truly might not walk or talk. But then to, you know, be there at Father Solanus's tomb and, you know, to have the priest there say a blessing over her with a relic and, you know, something that Father Solanus used himself was absolutely incredible. And she's perfectly fine and she's athletic and she does great in school and she's, you know, just a perfect little nine-year-old and doing, you know, absolutely wonderfully.
0: Nora has become one of Blessed Solanus' younger devotees, spreading the word to anyone who will listen.
2: And anytime we talk
1: about Father Solanus and uh, her healing, she just uh, beams with pride. So as a family, we feel indebted to Father Solanus, we're grateful that the Lord has used him as an instrument.
2: We do talk about this story quite a lot with, you know, a lot of people um, because we are so so proud of Nora, and we owe Father Solanus a lot.
0: But the devotion the family feels for Blessed Solanus lies not just in their personal miracle, but in the humble witness of extraordinary faith he offers for everyone who hears his story.
1: He was just an ordinary person with... Uh, extraordinary faith and uh, it appears extraordinary abilities. And, uh, you know, you look at somebody like Father Solanus, who initially wasn't able to to preach or to, to do homilies, and they had him uh, opening the door uh, at the church. And I think about that often, how Father Solanus uh, holding the door, uh, opening the door uh, through different types of Uh, intercessions, favors, miracles, Um, I can't help but think he's opening the door to to some non-believers who are close to others who are directly impacted by, by those works.
0: Detroit Stories is a production of the Detroit Catholic in the Communications Department of the Archdiocese of Detroit. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was sponsored by Michigan Catholic Conference. Visit micatholic.org forward slash to join the Catholic Advocacy Network. You'll receive email updates and action steps to have your Catholic voice heard on bills in the Michigan House and Senate that impact human dignity and the common good.